Great. Well, again, good morning. I think you could hear me, but <laughs> really, uh, really glad to uh, see all of you and your faces. And like I said, it's just been great to be with the leadership team and connect with uh, many of you and start building relationship. And yeah, it's just an honor and a privilege to be here. By the way, uh, greetings from your brothers and sisters at New Hope Church in Texas. Uh, they are worshiping right now at this moment. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing. All around the world, people are celebrating the goodness of God. It's really cool. And uh, we get to do that here. I just want to pray before I get started and ask God's blessing on this. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you that your grace has made uh, forgiveness and salvation available to us. And we're so honored and privileged to be your children. It's such an honor, God, to be part of your family to be one of your kids, and I pray today that as we uh, talk about what we're going to talk about and look at your word, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. God, would you speak to each one of us? May our hearts and our minds be open to you. Help us to hear you. In Jesus' strong, life-changing name. Amen. 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 So, so today I want to talk a little bit about personal ownership, and uh, we're going to look at the scriptures from that perspective, and it'll be a little bit different style than what you're used to. Uh, I, I've watched several videos of you guys on Sunday mornings, and so I have a little bit different style. I hope you guys can uh, make allowances for me <laughs> to be a different style, but um, I, I'm just praying that God will speak to us and, and help us in this. And, and so... Um, I think as the, as the church and as followers of Jesus, we live in a time and a cultural moment where we have an incredible opportunity uh, because we live in a time where people want lots and lots and lots of rights and less and less and less responsibility. You know, it's like, give me more rights. I want a right to this. I want a right to that. I want a right to be mad. I want a right to be angry. I want a right to be bitter. I want a right to do what I want to do. I want a right to say what I want to say, how I want to say it. I want a right to have no guardrails in my life whatsoever and just do it my way. And, and that we want those rights in our culture. It's everywhere. Rights, 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 rights. But don't put anything on me. Don't give me any responsibilities. And certainly don't hold me accountable or have any expectations that I would uh, be responsible for anything, for God's sake. And, uh, and that, that is a, it's, it's everywhere in our culture. But, but here's the thing about that. The thing is that when we have more and more rights with less and less responsibility, we end up with an empty life. And, and, and we know that as followers of Jesus because God actually gives us responsibility. He gives us guardrails in our lives that we, that we recognize and say, you know what, we actually need some guardrails. We need some guidance. We need some uh, clarity about direction. And we, and we need actually God to lead us through the scriptures and guide us about what is right and wrong and what is good and bad. And, and that, that is actually super helpful not only for us giving glory to God, but our lives actually working for us and for those around us way better. Because when we're just out on our own doing our own thing, we're a mess. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> we are a mess. We are broken as human beings, and we desperately need God's guidance and his guardrails in our lives. We need not less 
responsibility. We actually need more, and, and we need to be laying our rights down at the foot of the cross. That, that's what we desperately need. And, and that is actually a very attractive life. When people, think about the people that you know who've had the greatest influence in your life. They carry tremendous responsibility. They carry responsibility saying, man, I actually care about other people. I'm going to carry people's burdens. I'm going to watch out for other people's needs. I'm going to be there for people in difficult situations. There's, there's a responsibility that we take on. Rather than making it all about me and my rights, we literally, as Jesus said, lay our lives down. That is the nature of the kingdom. And it's, a, it's an incredibly attractive thing. And as we do that, that has an incredible impact on people all around us as they observe that, which I'll, I'll unpack as we talk a little bit more today. I'll just say this one last thing about our culture. We have more rights, especially in Western culture, we have more rights than anybody in the history of the world. And yet we are more addicted, medicated, and depressed than anybody in the history of the world. It doesn't work. It leads to emptiness. And, and I think that's why the Apostle Paul in, in Galatians chapter 6 uh, said what he said here about personal ownership. In, in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 4, we'll look at verses 4 and 5 and then verse 7. He says, pay careful attention to your own work. Not somebody else's work, your own work. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will uh, get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. That's so, that's so powerful to me. He said, you know, you know, just focus on your own stuff. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to focus on somebody else's stuff? I mean, it's so easy, isn't it? Like, we fo we'll focus, focus on their work and what they got and what their pay is and when, who their family is. And, oh, and, and we, we, as soon as we start to compare, we have two choices, pride or shame. Neither one are good. We shame because it's like, oh, you've got something better than me. I, I don't know what's wrong with me, you know? Or pride because I think I've got something better than you. It's so easy to get trapped in that. And, and not see the blessing of God that he's given us. But Paul's saying here, there's a satisfaction in looking at what I'm doing. A satisfaction in your own work, your, your own stuff. You're your, your, uh, taking responsibility for your own life. And it's actually a beautiful thing. And you know, uh, I think sometimes uh, we get so caught up in this, even in the church, you know. Because we look at, you know, I, I, I know as pastors... I, one of, the greatest, um, one of the greatest sins of pastors is comparing <laughs> and jealousy. Uh, because we look at, oh, their church is bigger than mine. Oh, uh, they've got better people than me. Or they've got, the, they got more money than us. Or they got this, they got that going on. Or, or people are saying this about them. It is an absolute trap of the enemy. And, and we have to come back to this place over and over again to say, you know what? God's given me what he's given me. Uh, Ned told me years ago, Ned, Ned's been a friend and mentor in my life the last 15 years. And, and we've talked about this more than once. And uh, he told me years ago, he said, you know, it's, it's God res God's responsibility to give you the field that he gives you. And it's also his responsibility to determine the size and scope of it. 
it's your responsibility to make that field better. And I was like, that is so helpful. <laughs> because you can get so caught up in what somebody else has got and what somebody else has, as opposed to saying, man, God, thank you for giving me what you've given me, and I'm going to take responsibility to make it better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my best. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to make this a worship to you, what I do with what you've given me. That might be your family. It might be your workplace. It might be your business. It might be uh, your relationship with somebody, and certainly your relationship with God, and I'm going to go for it. And then verse 7, he says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And, uh, you know, I I love that little phrase, uh, don't be misled, you cannot mock the justice of God. Justice has to do with right and wrong. It's the way it works. And I think part of what Paul's saying here is there's certain things that God has hardwired into the universe. There's certain uh, laws that he has put in place, if you will. The law of gravity is hardwired in the universe. Have you guys noticed that? Like if you step off the edge of a building, you are going to fall. That is going to happen. You can pray all you want. You are going to fall no matter how hard you pray. And this law of sowing and reaping is hardwired into the universe. Paul's saying, look, this is the way it works. You, You reap what you sow. Uh, Every choice has a consequence. Every action has a reaction. And the more we can own that in our lives and stop making excuses for ourselves and saying, well, it's my parents' fault or it's my siblings' fault or it's my spouse's fault or it's my friend's fault or it's my boss's fault or somebody else, and just say, you know what? I got to reap what I've sown. And that's actually what produces growth in our lives. See, when we make excuses for ourselves, we can't grow. Or if it's somebody else's fault, now I'm a victim. Well, I'm this way because so-and-so did this. Or I got angry because you said that to me. Whoa, 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 whoa. When it's somebody else's fault, here's the thing, you can't do anything about it. But when you take responsibility, now I can do something about it. I can actually change. I can, I can make it better. I can do something with this. And, and I believe that God is calling us to that place. And it actually has an opportunity to have an incredible impact on not only our lives, but the lives of everyone around us and the lives in the culture around us. Now, let me, let me approach this a little bit different way. How many of you have ever had something that when you had it, you wished you did not have it, and then it was gone and you wished you had it back. Anybody ever had something like that in their life? Okay, me too, me too, me too. So uh, uh, I'll just give you an example of that. When I was 15 years old, I grew up on a farm. So uh, in Texas in those days, if you grew up on a farm, you could get what they called a hardship license. So that meant you got to get a, get a driver's license at 15 years old as opposed to 16 years old, which is a very scary thing to think about, actually. Um, and so, <laughs> so at 15, I had a driver's license. And, uh, and, and my dad, soon after that, pulled into the driveway one day with what to my 15-year-old eyes was the ugliest car I'd ever seen in the world, all right? And uh, it, I'll, I'll just tell you what it was. It was a 1969, yes, there were cars back then, 1969 uh, Chevrolet Caprice Classic, four-door, black and white. That was the color scheme. And, and to me, at 15, you know, trying to be, you know, whatever you're trying to be at 15, uh, I just thought, this is, this is the worst car ever. And uh, my dad's so excited about it, you know, 
And he, and he, he pulls in, and me and my brother are standing there looking at it like, uh. And he, he walks up and he goes, now, Keith, he hands me the key. Keith, this is your car for now. And when you earn enough money to get something else, then, Kevin, you can have that car. <laughs> and my brother was like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> you know, and we nicknamed it the BM, which some people thought stood for bowel movement. But actually, it stood for, sarcastically, the beauty mobile. That's what we called this car, the beauty mobile. And uh, I had no appreciation for it whatsoever. Zero, 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 zero. But what happened with that car was it gave me uh, responsibilities that other people my age did not have. Like the responsibility to drive a car, you know? I mean, that's a big deal. You could wreck it or wreck somebody else or kill somebody for that matter. So I had this responsibility. And then none of my friends had cars, so they all wanted to ride in the beauty mobile with me. So we would pile into the beauty mobile and we'd go places that we probably shouldn't have gone, do things that we probably shouldn't have done and do all, I mean, it was really fun. It was a great time and I had all these uh, privileges and rights that I got to do because of the responsibility that I had of this car and a driver's license at 15 years old that other people didn't have. And I had zero appreciation for it because all I could see and all I could think about was how embarrassing it was to drive that car. Now, now I look back and I go, I really wish I had that car back. Because I found a picture of it online. I I think we've got a picture of it. Can we put, there it is. I would love to have that car back. You know what I'm saying? But at the time, I was like, dang it, I don't want to drive this stupid car. This looks like my grandmother's car. And I think that's what happens for us a lot in our lives is God gives us certain responsibilities, uh, certain things that we have to deal with, certain relationships in our lives. And Ned talked about the suffering of that earlier. It ties right into what I'm talking about because it, it really does feel like a suffering. And yet it is when we take on those responsibilities well that God gives us. And we honor him with it, with our attitudes and our humility. Something beautiful starts to come out of that. And there are opportunities that are presented to us that if we had not, if we had said no to those responsibilities, we wouldn't get to experience. I want to look at an example of this in the Old Testament in uh, Genesis 39, in Joseph's story. And I'm sure you know Joseph's story, but I'll just recap it real quick so we're all on the same page. You know, Joseph... Joseph was um, uh, the son of Jacob, and uh, Jacob was the son of Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham, the father of our faith. And, and Joseph was number 11 of 12 sons. So he had 10 older half-brothers who hated his guts. I mean, they, they could not stand him. And there were some, some good reasons they couldn't stand him, honestly, because Joseph was a little snitch, tattletale. Uh, his dad liked him more than he liked the other ones. And, uh, and, and, and Joseph couldn't keep his mouth shut, and he was kind of bragocious and all that. And so, so Joseph had his issues, uh, but, but then uh, his brothers hated him so much that they literally sold Joseph into slavery. And as... Do you ever just sit with that? Like, when I read that story, I'm like, I try to put myself in, I can't. I try to put myself in Joseph's shoes of being betrayed by your family to the point they sell you into slavery. 
And just as a side note, this happens more to more people right now in our world than any other time in human history. This is not far-fetched. I, I get the privilege of serving on a board for uh, the Starfish Project, which rescues trafficked women in a- all over Asia. And um, I-, I, think, I think as followers of Jesus, we should do everything in our power to bring justice uh, to this kind of thing. So anyway, it's a side note. Um, so Joseph gets sold into slavery, and he gets sold to a politician named Potiphar. And Potiphar, and, and, and Joseph, Joseph gets sold to this politician named Potiphar, and it would have been so easy for Joseph to say, you know what, my life sucks, this is stupid, God hates me, I'm done. Honestly, he could have done that and just gone through the motions for the rest of his life. But instead, Joseph took ownership for his life. He knew God was with him. So he's not going to give up. So he takes responsibility for life. He goes to work at Potiphar's house. He learns the language. He learns the culture. He learns what Potiphar wants and needs. And he works his way up over the next several years to become Potiphar's right-hand man. He goes from slave to being his right-hand man. He's over all the other servants, over all the estate. Potiphar's a very wealthy man. He owns lands and properties and servants. And, he take, and Joseph ends up running the whole show. <laughs> including being over all the other servants that he was one of and over Potiphar's finances. Potiphar loved Joseph. The only problem was Mrs. Potiphar loved Joseph too. <laughs> and, uh, and she wanted to sleep with him. And, and so she kept pursuing him, pursuing, pursuing him. And you know the story. And Joseph said, no, 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 no. And finally, Mrs. Potiphar got tired of being rejected. And she told her husband that Joseph tried to rape her. And Potiphar's furious, as you can imagine, and he has Joseph thrown into a prison for a crime he didn't commit. And that's where we're going to pick up the story here in Genesis 39, starting in verse 19. And here's what it says. It says, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's made-up story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. So there was about 13 years between Joseph's dream and being hauled to Egypt and getting to be Pharaoh's right-hand man in the, in the, what do you call it, in the capital there of the empire. And I'm just guessing it's probably about six to seven years where he's at Potiphar's house and then there's six to seven years that he's in prison. I mean, we kind of read this stuff and we go, you know, it's just, it just kind of happened. Here's what happened next, and then that happened next. No, there's years here. He's in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden, Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. Now, I want you to, as we read this last verse, I want you to, I want you to, as we read it, look at it uh, through the lens of personal ownership. Okay, Look look at this. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Everybody say everything. 
the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. I mean, can you imagine how easy it would have been for Joseph to just give in to his pain and give in to what had happened to him and, and just give in to bitterness and, and envy and jealousy of his other brothers and, 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 and thinking, man, where's my dad? Why didn't he come rescue me? What, what happened? And, 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 and then I worked so hard for Potiphar and now his wife has made up this story and I've been thrown in jail for something I didn't even do. I mean, he could have given in to all that, but instead, he goes to prison and gets to work and brings his best. I think when, I think when the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, verses 7 and 8, I think he was probably thinking of Joseph somehow. Look at what it says. Ephesians 6, 7-8, it says, Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. You know, Joseph wasn't working for Potiphar. He wasn't working for the warden. He wasn't working for his family. He wasn't working for his brothers. He wasn't working for somebody else's approval. He was working for the Lord. And you know, you can do that whether you're in prison or in the palace. Whatever your situation is, you can work for the Lord. And it not be about all this other stuff that's going on. He goes on, remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Now, Paul's not talking about some work salvation here. He's talking to people who are already, they, they have received the grace of God in their lives. And because of that grace, he's saying, man, now bring your best. Let your work be worship to God. Let whatever you do, the way you relate with people, your work, how you study God's word, what you do at church, what you do at home, what you do at school, what you do at wherever you are, whatever you're doing, do it as unto the Lord. Let it be worship to him. And there's something so beautiful about that that is honestly life-changing and life-altering. I was thinking one day when I was studying this passage, I was thinking about what are some of the emotions that Joseph could have given into sitting there in that prison? By the way, prisons are not, not nice places. And think about, yeah, think about a prison some 4,000 years ago. I mean, come on. It's about as nasty as it gets and about as rough as it gets. And I could imagine Joseph just hiding in the corner, honestly, depressed with his life. And I'm sure he had all kinds of emotions that hit him in the midst of this. I mean, that, he's human. We're, we're all human, right? And we go through difficult things, and these emotions hit us. I mean, just imagine what he was dealing with. I thought, you know, he could have easily given in to fear. I'm sure he felt afraid. And, and fear causes us to, to take this posture of saying, you know, I'm not going to do anything because something bad might happen to me again. Because I've been trying really hard. I, 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 I did my best for Potiphar and it still ended up with me going to prison. It could have been so easy for him to give in to fear. And I think we give in to fear sometimes in, in broken relationships in our lives. You know, we say, oh man, I don't want to get hurt again, so I'm going to keep everybody at a distance. I'm not really going to give myself to these relationships, so I'm going to keep everybody at arm's length. And then, 
And we think, oh man, I won't be hurt if I do that, but then we're hurt because everybody's at arm's length and I'm isolated. It doesn't work. Or you could have given in to despair. That's when you give up and sit on the sideline because God is obviously against me or not here for me, but he's there. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is always there and he's always at work even when things aren't going the way that we want them to go. He's always at work in our lives. Anger. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine how angry he could have been. I mean, you know, anger is one of those emotions that never stands alone. Anger always comes from hurt or fear. So whenever you're angry, one of the best things you can do is say, man, what am I afraid of or what is hurting me right now? Because then you can actually deal with it. When you're angry and you're like, I can stop being angry. That doesn't work. (laughs) Have you noticed that? But he could have given in to anger. That's when you blame everyone else for your emotional pain. That's what happens when you come home from work and you're mad at everybody at the house, but you're really upset about something that happened at work. None of you have ever done that, have you? I have. Like I, I remember uh, when my, my daughter was, our youngest daughter was three years old, and we used to talk about attitude a lot. And I came home one day and I was upset about something that happened at work, and I was grumpy around the house, and, and my three-year-old, who had a lisp at that time, uh, she walks straight up to her daddy, you know, and she's like this tall, and I'm t- towering over her. She walks up to me, and she says, Daddy, do you have a bad attitude? I said, no, but I'm about to. <laughs> it's not going to happen. No. I actually said, you know what? I do. I do. I'm so sorry. And sometimes we need a three-year-old to tell us. Help us see. Man, I'm letting anger lock me down and keep me from the people that I say I love the most. But I got to take ownership for that. See, in that moment, it'd be easy to say, no, what's wrong with you? Get out of the way. But it's when we take personal ownership that we can actually make changes. As long as I'm making excuses, I can't make any changes. Joseph could have given in to cynicism. That's when we believe everyone is only out for themselves and therefore I'm going to keep my distance from everybody. And that's a very lonely place to live. You know, and, and here's the thing about it. If Joseph would have given in to those emotions, and we all have those emotions. Emotions are not good or bad. They're amoral. They just are what they are. But what we do with those emotions matters a lot. And Joseph could have totally given himself over to those emotions, and everybody who knew what happened to his life would have been, yeah, I get it, totally. But he would have been locked into missing the very thing that God was trying to do and bring about through his life if he would have let himself go there. If he would have let himself just sit in that place And not take ownership for his life because he would have missed out on meeting the other two politicians that he met in prison, which is where politicians sometimes go. But anyway, uh, the baker and the cupbearer who were politicians in Egypt, and they... He met them later, and as a result of meeting them, he ends up going to Pharaoh and becoming part of the, the, the royal court, and he ends up saving millions of people's lives. And all of that would have been missed if he would have allowed himself to give in and say, you know what, I'm done. This is stupid. I'm tired of all this. 
And sometimes we do. We need children to help us see, man, we're not owning our lives. We're not really taking responsibility for ourselves. It reminds me of this story about little Johnny who was riding home with his parents in their car from church. And they had been there for his little brother's christening. And, and Johnny was in the backseat of the car. He was just crying, crying, crying. He couldn't get control of himself. And his dad was like, Johnny, what is going on? What, what is happening? He asked him again and again and again. And finally, Johnny got himself together. His dad said, okay, Johnny, tell us what's wrong. And, and Johnny said, well, well Dad, the, the, the pastor said when he was doing the baptism there that, that he wanted us to be raised in a genuine Christian home. And his dad has looked at him and said, what's wrong with that? And he said, well, Dad, I want to stay with you guys. I, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, so sometimes we need to take ownership. And sometimes our kids or our children actually help us see things that we can't see ourselves. I, I, I want to finish with this, this story from my own life. You know, uh, so when I was in college, um, I was about, I was halfway through my junior year and I um, had an experience with God where I, I literally, genuinely gave my life to Jesus and began to follow him. And I won't go into all the details of that, but it was quite a moment and, and very impactful. And I was, you know, you know when you're young and you're zealous? I was on fire, man. I was like, I am going to change the world, baby. And, uh, and I remember I, was, I, was, uh, I called my dad because I was so excited now. And I'd, I'd read this little tract by Keith Green called Why You Should Go to the Mission Field. Some of you might have heard of Keith Green before. But anyway, I read this tract about why you should go to the mission field. And I called my dad and I said, Dad, I'm quitting school. I'm going to the mission field. <laughs> And my dad very wisely asked me some questions. And one of the questions was, well, how long do you have to go before you're done with school? I said, Dad, it's a year and a half. It's basically forever. And, uh, <laughs> and he goes, well, actually, that's really not that long, you know. A year and a half in the grander scheme of things is really not that long. What if you went ahead and finished your degree, and then you had that degree in your back pocket the rest of your life, and you can go and do whatever you feel like you're supposed to do. I mean, you feel like God wants you to go to the mission field, whatever, whatever you feel like you want to do, but you'll always have that degree. I remember thinking, man, that's a really good idea. <laughs> and so I, I finished my degree, and I, I uh, went, to, went to Youth of the Mission. And man, my hair was on fire. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're just zealous you're on fire I'm like I'm gonna change the world baby it's gonna be amazing I'm gonna preach all over the world it's gonna be awesome and people are gonna come to know Jesus it's gonna man it's gonna be so great which is code for I'm gonna be great you know when you're that age it's like, that's what you're really anyway um but I'm so excited you know and I go to youth of the mission and I go into one of their training schools and my first job in ministry, my very first job, was they said, hey, Keith, you grew up on a farm, so you know how to drive a tractor. We've got this little Ford tractor. We've got this janky little trailer you're going to pull behind it, and you're going to drive all over this ministry center, which is 350 acres. There was 300 staff at that time. You're going to drive all over this ministry center, and you're going to pick up everybody's trash. I was like, really? 
I mean, I need to go teach and preach and do some stuff. You know what I mean? I need to do the real stuff. And, uh, and so I'm the driver of this little Ford tractor with this janky trailer on the back and a group of guys, and we're riding around the base. This is in East Texas, which is really hot and really humid, and it rains a lot. That's a bad combination for trash, I'm just going to tell you. you know, I, it, and it stunk, and you'd pick it up, and all this water would drip all over you, and it's like, what is that? I don't know. I don't want to know. You know, all that. And I'm like, God, what am I doing? This is so, I mean, it was so, it, I mean, it sounds funny now, but at the time it was so real, so intense, you know, it's so serious. I'm like, God, what am I doing? I'm picking up trash. This is ridiculous. And, and, uh, and I just, I just felt so impressed by the Lord. He was just basically saying to me, hey, Spurgeon, <laughs> if you if you can't pick up this nasty trash as worship to me, how are you going to change the world? And I was like, oh, that's a good point. And so it took me a few days processing with Jesus. You know how that goes. And, uh, and I was like, all right, I'm in. Let's do this. And so... So I, I got together with my guys who were on the trailer with me, and, and I said, guys, we're going to do this right. We're, gonna, we're gonna really going to do this. We're going we're gonna to be the best trash picker-uppers this ministry has ever seen. And, and we're going to do this with a great attitude. We're just going to own it. I mean, we're just going to take it on. We made up a song. We are the trash kings, the mighty, mighty trash kings. I don't remember the rest of it, but anyway. Uh, and we drove around the basement, and, and, and we, we had all this trash we're hauling and picking up, and we're singing, and we're laughing, and we're talking, and shouting. People would come out of their offices to come watch us go by with the trash truck. I mean, it was insane. It was crazy. And, and you know what? It was really fun. It was really fun. And, and after, years later, after, you know, God released some things and I was doing different things, and some of those dreams I had way back there, uh, some of those things actually happened, and, and, and I remember God just speaking to me and saying, hey, remember the trash tractor, <laughs> the trash trailer? If you couldn't do that as worship to me, if you couldn't own it and do it as worship to me, this other stuff never would have happened because I couldn't trust you with it. And guys, I, 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 I don't, you know, we've all got different lives, different things going on, but I know this as humans living in a broken world with other broken people, there's always some challenges. There's always some things happening. I don't know, you might have a marriage where you're like, man, this isn't what exactly what I had in mind. And maybe Jesus might say to you, hey, would you do this as worship to me? Maybe, maybe, your, kids, maybe your kids, some things are happening with your kids and, and it's not working out exactly the way you thought it was going to. Or they're, they're, they're making some decisions that you wouldn't make. And, 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 and God would come and say, hey, would you parent these kids as worship to me? 
and trust me with the results? Because I got this. And you might have a situation at work where you're like, man, this isn't, ah, this is not what I signed up for. And Jesus might say to you, hey, would you do this job as worship to me? Because see, when we begin to take ownership like that, God meets us in that. Just like he met Joseph. You know, that verse talked about the favor of God and, the, and God was on him and, and all that stuff. But Joseph also had to marry the, his life with, and his heart with that favor that God had. And as a result, the favor of God, the blessing of God didn't just impact Joseph, but everybody around him and eventually millions of people whose lives were saved. And God is calling us as his people to marry our lives and our faith and our trust and our ownership of our lives with his favor, with his grace, so that our lives begin to work for us. They're not perfect, but our lives begin to work for us and for those around us. And guys, when we begin to do that as followers of Jesus, as the church of Jesus Christ, people begin to look at our lives. Our, 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 our relationships start to change. Our families start to change for the better. Our, 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 our churches start to change for the better. Our cities get impacted. The world gets impacted as we embrace this ownership that he's calling us to, to say, will you be me in this situation, in this field that I've given you? Will you be me in that place? Will you do what you're doing as worship to me? It may not look exactly like you wanted it to look. It may not be exactly what you thought it was going to be. It may even disappoint you in some places. But will you do it as worship to me like Joseph did? So that I can do what I'm trying to do through your life. And the people around you are experiencing my grace because of it. I believe that God wants that for every single one of us. And I really believe you guys want that too. So let's pray together, can we? Could just, let's just bow our heads for a moment. Can we just pray? And God, we come before you, yeah, with hearts that are surrendered to you. You know, we have this little tradition in our church, and I just invite you guys into it if you'd like to, where we, when we pray like this, we just encourage everybody to just open their hands as a sign of opening their heart. And one of the reasons we do that is because it's hard to be defensive with your hands open. So God, we come to you with open hands and open hearts. And we ask for your very best in our lives. And we pray, God, that you would enable and empower us by your grace to bring our very best back to you. God, help us to own our attitudes and our thoughts and our actions, our work. And, and, and God, help us to stop looking at what somebody else has or what somebody else has got or what somebody else is doing. And give us that peace in our hearts that this is our field. And to make it better. To your glory. To your honor. 
that whatever we do, whether it's picking up trash or preaching a sermon or going to work or sitting down with our kids or in a difficult conversation with our spouse, whatever we do, may we do it as unto you. And we ask this in the strong, life-changing name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.